Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Today with me, I have a comedian. You are a comedian, right? Yep. Okay. A comedian, Chris Cheney. So Chris, it's good to have you with us today. Happy to be here. So you are in, are you in New York? I am in New York City. I'm in Brooklyn, Williamsburg. What is that like now that COVID's kind of getting, I'm not going to say it's over, but we're kind of in a, in a decrease of of infection now i would say it's this is going to be a great summer i think everybody's really ready to go outside and you can tell by the homeless i know that's a weird gauge but when the homeless have gotten like this crazy like when they've come out and like they've really just gotten everyone's face you're like oh yeah this is going to be a summer for sure yeah so i was in new york in october and it was it was overwhelming to me never have been there and from i live in little rock which is you know, like a 10th of New York city's population. Right. And so I, I told the Uber driver, I was like, man, this is crazy. Like he almost hit this girl on a bicycle and, you know, cause she just, <laughs> and he was like, crazy. What do you mean? I was like, all these people. And he's like, it is dead out here. And I'm going, if this is dead, I don't want to be here when it's normal. You know, it's just, <laughs> just wild, just wild stuff. Oh yeah. No. And you know what? It's like, you know, it's funny because my roommate has a car. So like, you know, when we go somewhere and he, you know, he's willing to drive, it's funny because like now we can't find parking. We're all summer. He was like last summer. He was like, this is sweet. This is the shit. Now it's like it's it's gone. So like everyone's yeah. coming back out and like, yeah, it's going to be nuts. You should come back and just to, just to see. Yeah, I, I may. <laughs> I may. Uh, yeah, but somebody told me as I have a friend that lives in New York uh, there. Uh, he lives in a in an apartment just right outside of Central Park and his his rent's like nearly three grand a month. Oh, yeah. He's loaded. Yeah. Well, yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> and it pisses me off because we have the same exact degree from the same exact college. And he's making a million and a half a year. And I'm over here making, you know, trying to make my student loan payments. And, uh, you know, but but it is what it is. But he was like, I pay $1,200 a month just to park my car. And I'm like, yeah, crazy, bro. Why? Why? I would just not have a car. Yeah, I I just got a bike. I just became a bike guy. I'm I'm just I just became the guy that almost got hit by the taxi. You know. <laughs> well, be careful out there. Yeah, of be course. Be careful out there. So, uh, were you raised in New York? Are you originally no, from uh, Boston, Massachusetts? Uh, but for those people who, uh, because people from Boston, when you say that, they're like, "All right, where exactly?" Because they don't like frauds. Um, it's Andover, Massachusetts, which is like twenty minutes, twenty five minutes outside the city. But um, I identify with Boston just because it's easier in casual conversation. Gotcha. Well, you don't really sound like a Bostoner. Is that what they call them? Bostoners? Bostonians. Bostonians. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that, cause you're talking about the accent, right? Yeah. So that, I mean, it does exist. Uh, like my mom has one apparently, but I don't hear it. Uh, everyone's like your mom's accent's insane. I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying at all. But uh, yeah, it's, that's more like the media. That's like when you watch The Town or The Departed and then you like do the pack, the cat. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> it's there, but it's like, I guess, generally an older folk. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Everyone says I have a Southern accent, but I don't have an accent. Everybody else has an accent. It's one of right. one of those things. <laughs> I hear you. So, so what was life like growing up in in Boston? I mean, it's good. It was a it's a white suburban neighborhood. You know, like uh, so if you know you imagine like a kid in that environment, you know, you latch on to Eminem. Um, you know, that's sort of like trying to just build a narrative for the people. And what more interesting enough, so Andover has the number one private high school in the country um, that I would have to like go through their campus every day to get to public school. It is like a, I would say like a higher class town just because, you know, of like what's what's in it. You know, I was raised upper middle class, I would say, I guess, uh, to be gracious. My mom would lo- probably love to hear that. <laughs> like, we, we are upper middle class. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I mean, it was like generally pretty easy, man. I mean, I can't complain. Like, I, I remember, I don't know why this is hitting me now, but I remember like trying to write my college essay. I'm like, what have I overcame? This is not really something that I, I have to like, what am I pulling out of my ass for this? Like, this is crazy for an art school, you know? Right. So, I mean, all in all, like, fine, you know, just like we're talking nineties. So like dial up internet, family computer type of thing. So growing up in the nineties, which I was, I was born in 83. So I'm 37, I'll be 38 this month. Do you remember going to like grocery stores or whatever? We have Walmart here. I don't know what it is that, that you have there. Oh, we got a we got a Wally World. Okay, so do you remember like uh, near the checkout line there would be all of these magazines, and beside yeah. these magazines would be the free AOL trial CDs. Yes, I do have vague memories of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we would collect those and use them as as coasters. <laughs> The 10 hour free ones yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, after you used the, the right. 10 hours of free, because you never paid for it. You just went back, made another email and, you know, started it over again. Uh, yeah, I would have to ask my because I don't remember. ever. Of course, I didn't have any money. I was like five, you know, but right. Uh, right. yeah, I don't remember actually paying for the Internet. That's funny yeah. to think about now. Yeah, but I would pay, which we pay good money to have fast Internet. Now, kids would die. Yeah. Kids would die on dial up. They would just you know, throw their computer outside. So did you have any brothers, sisters? I have a sister who I guess is considered an Irish twin or very close to it. I think we're a year and six months apart. So like, you know, half the time I'm a year older and half the time I'm two years older. So gotcha. it's like, we're, we're very close, at least in age. What was that like having a sister that was so close to you? What, did that end up being in the same grade in school? Uh, she was a year below me. Um, it was interesting just because, like, you know, your sister's always around. And I sort of was like the, the I don't want to call her the trendsetter, but I sort of, like, let her see how, what, like, someone so close but older runs around with. Um, so, like, yeah, like, I played baseball. She played softball, that sort of thing. Um, but then it got to, like, we both like pizza, right? But then she liked Domino's. I like Papaginos, which was, like, the Northeast, you know. So, like, every other Tuesday we would switch. So, it was that sort of uh, – environment where it's like making sure like the, the cups are level with the same amount of drink, that, that type of thing. Gotcha. So uh, you you mentioned your mom was was it a nuclear family with a dad in the home as well? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I haven't spoken to my dad in a long time, but a strong relationship with my mom. OK, um, I'm going to start taking notes because you said you didn't have any issues. So I'll just drop that, <laughs> shut that yes. down. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I think you mentioned in school you were just uh, you were there wasn't any particular problem, but you weren't a very good student. So my last name rhymes with weenie. Uh, so I was I was at the, like, you know, you don't realize it at the time you sort of have to reflect because no adult really tells you. But I was like an easy target. And I think that sort of like got me disinterested in the idea of school in general, because it's not that I have bad memories of any of my school. But like 
I'm not like looking forward to ever, like, I'm never going to go to a reunion. I have like no connection, like with my town necessarily. Like, yeah, I'm from there, but like, I don't really hold anything back for that. I don't know, like disinterested. I'm also an artist. So like, I'd rather be drawing and shit. Like all these things kind of like, I hated school. Like I was an easy target. Like I like art, like all these things kind of led me to like, just not be like a generally good student. Like, I think I graduated high school with like a 2.2 GPA or something like very disgraceful. <laughs> just, just enough to get out. Yeah, basically, yeah. I all by the fuck like the edge of my seat. So, were you one of those students that really sat down and figured out, do I have to do this homework to pass? And then, or were you just, I'm not going to do the homework. I'll just do what I have to do. Yeah, I was more like a do what I have to do, like, and not even like that. I was really like getting by. I was just like, if I felt like doing it, I did. If I didn't, I didn't. You know, like gotcha. I also had my, you know, my mom was very supportive, but that also means assertive. So she like wanted me to be good. So there was kind of her in the back of my hair going, rah, 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 do it. You know, so. Yeah. So you, you talked about the name association with Cheney and Weenie. Um, yeah. I was, I lived in North Carolina for a while. And for some reason I was back home and my sister was having uh, my, my oldest nephew who just turned 18. And I'm like, how can he be 18 years old? Right. But she, she, uh, I, I went in and she had had him and I said, well, what did you name him? Cause you know, in the, in the South, it's not so much more, but uh, nowadays, but before, they would kind of hold off what they were going to name until the baby was there. And then they told everybody. And so okay. she, uh, she said, I have named him Austin Jack Goff. And I said, no. Yeah. Jack off. Yeah. No, you yeah. can't do that. Can't do that. And she was like, why? And so I had to explain it to her. And so now his name is Austin Jack Allen Goff. So he's one of those kids that have two middle names and oh, he's got a little hyphen. Yeah. yeah. But thankfully, you know, somebody was there to, to, uh, to correct that. But in your case with a last name, it's not like you can change your last name. We need to clarify the pronunciation of my name. I think you assumed it was, uh, uh, Chaney, right? Yeah. In Arkansas, we have, I have some friends who uh, last name is spelled exact same way. That's Chaney. Yeah, so I don't really know like where the pronunciation difference came from as far as my family and the rest. Uh, it's funny because we actually there's another Cheney family because you're like, from up it, north and we're down south. That's that's what it maybe is. Pro I probably that probably would be it. Yeah, yeah, it, it probably happened somewhere around the Civil War time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I've never really thought about this before. So the idea of like the Civil War being the reason why this is why my childhood sucked. <laughs> no, it was great. Uh, I just, I said that for the joke. Uh, Cause I feel like my mom might listen, you know, you gotta be careful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She'll be like, what are you saying to this doctor? I'm like, yo, you gotta chill. <laughs> you gotta have to chill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm so, we got so off point. Where were we going with this? Uh, the, the pronunciation of your last name. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, eventually I stopped correcting people. I was like, yes, I am Cheney. I am a pure Cheney at, at heart. So, you know, cause I, it's like not, I wouldn't call them mental scars, but I do have rem like memories of people chanting, Cheney has a small weenie, you know? <laughs> well, and like when you're, I, I didn't grade, mean to laugh like, at you. I didn't mean no, to laugh at dude, you. No, dude, it's, this is the thing though. It's funny. In yeah. hindsight, all this, like as an adult, like I've, I guess, processed all this stuff. Like, you know, like it is very, very funny because when they're accusing me of having a small weenie, we're not even using them at all. Like I haven't even kicked in puberty at all. Like, I, I can't come. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know what this is for my penis, but it, if it's bad that it's small, I guess, but I don't know what small is relative to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it was like an interesting time where no one corrected me either. No one was like, Chris, your penis is average. Cause you can't tell a kid about his penis size. Right. You know what I mean? So it was just a very interesting thing to go through. Yeah. And, and I imagine that even then as a prepubescent 
child that that was still very damaging uh, to you. You know, the, the thought that here they're making fun of me, they're calling me a weenie, and, you know, any name-calling, of course, as a child is, is horrific to some of us. I mean, how did that affect your mental health? Did that cause anxiety? Did it cause a depression? Um, anger. I would say anger. If that's the emotion I had to sort of pinpoint, you know, it's like being an easy target and no one tells you. You're, like, confused why uh, sort of this is happening to you. Yeah, it's, like, out of frustration. You're like, yo, what the fuck, guys? And, like, fifth grade, I got in, like, a couple fights this is the other thing too is once you take uh bullying poorly then you're you're you become not an easy target but the target you know right. so you have to i sort of like i don't know yeah i just got angry i was like fighting kids even though i'm like not a fighter you know like i i haven't fought since fifth grade uh but i i mean out of it now like i'm fine but yeah back then i guess it was like very stressful mm. so so where did that anger and then fighting you know were you I hate to say it this way, but were you winning the fights or were the fights then becoming more degrading because you weren't able to defend yourself physically? I mean, we're talking like two fifth graders throwing hands. So it's like, I don't think there's really any winning or losing. I think I just kind of like the, the point of kind of like the Floyd Logan fight the other night. Yes, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of <laughs> a lot of hugging. Uh, hugging. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. What a that was, like that's bad. You know, that's a whole separate thing. But what a fucking embarrassing thing that was. Uh, but yeah, no, I guess it's like I proved the point where it's like, yo, don't fuck with me. And, you know, by like the third time they were like, all right, I guess we'll leave this kid alone. And then, you know, fifth grade going into sixth grade, that's when you change schools, at least in, you know, where I grew up. So I went from South Elementary School to uh, Doherty Middle. And that changed the whole kind of you know, you can become a new person in middle school. You can find new friends, like this district of the kids I'd never met before, you know? So like, I, I think that helped a lot. I think the timing of that was important. So did you, did you ever have to see a therapist or anything of that nature when this bullying was taking place? Yeah. I mean, like, so when I got into middle school, I'm not going to say it went away, but I think it helped sort of dissipate it. But then there was still like the residual. Um, and at some point it's like, you know, it's like, like, what else do you do? No one's helping me. No one's explaining anything. I did like a cry for help. Like, yo, I'm just going to kill myself. Like, fuck you guys. And then immediately I got into therapy because of that. Um, and I think, you know, with this guy, Larry Larson, rest in peace. I think he kind of knew that I was like, all right, I just need to like be explained a couple of things. Yeah. And so I think it's important for us to understand what a cry for help was, is that when you had no intention of killing yourself, it was kind of giving a resolve of as an adolescence to say, well, I guess I'm going to have to kill myself is a statement of I can't go on any farther. And so I need help processing this. And yeah. it wasn't probably necessary that you had a plan or even really maybe knew how to effectively kill yourself. Yeah, I mean, the I think the generic is like the wristlet, right? I feel like everybody sort of goes to that first, like, I, and that's sort of like, you know, you need to do it vertically in order to get it. Like, you know, you kind of, I think, I don't know where you gain this information, but I knew that like wrist was the way. And then someone, I guess, knows like, well, if you really want to do it you're vertical, it's like, how do 12 year olds know this? This is insane. But yeah, so I, that, that's sort of like the spot I was at. That's the only thing I knew. Um, and I never actually applied it because I was like, oh, that's going to like hurt. <laughs> yeah, I actually, and, and you know, you you made the statement, where do kids learn this stuff or know this stuff? I, I actually had a six-year-old client that attempted suicide at six years old. Now, my son is six years old, and I can't even imagine 
him knowing uh, that or processing anything yeah. to, to that point. She used a disposable razor and oh, broke no. the razor and slit her wrist the right way. And I don't know if it Vertically? was vertically. Yeah. I don't know if it was accidental, you know, that she just did it that way or if she knew, but yeah. I, and I'm going, what could be so wrong in a six year old's life that, yeah. that they feel like that this is happening. But, you know, I, I think when I grew up and, and how old are you? 32. Okay. So I've got five years on you at least. But when I grew up, we grew up with more of the mentality that if you were getting bullying, just brush it off. You know, that's just that's just part of the of life that you're going to get bullied. Uh, it's kind of a rite of passage for boys. It's just going to happen. And so when you get in that place of just being bullied constantly, then you feel inadequate because you're being bullied and you feel inadequate because you're not able to just brush it off. Did you, right. did you ever feel that way? Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. Um, so like when this first started going on and like, you know, they, they told me to walk away, just like walk away. And they were like, you know, if there's an issue, like come home. So <laughs> I literally one day, fifth grade, I walked home, like in the middle of school. Like I walked out the front door, uh, walked, <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't believe I did this. I literally was like having this a rough day. Like it was a, it was a good cheeny weenie chant day, I guess, or something. Uh, and I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to walk home. And I, some, I don't know how I made it home because I'm so terrible with directions, but somehow I ended up, uh, the, it's probably like a three mile walk. I would assume I ended up on my front stairs. And I remember my neighbor, uh, drove by and it was like noon. And she, like I waved and she waved. I couldn't get in the house. It was locked. So I just stood there and all of a sudden a cop rolled up and he was just like, oh, we've been looking for you. And I'm like, well, I'm looking to get away from that place. So <laughs> they told me to just walk away. I was yeah, doing I what they said. Yeah, literally. I just was doing what everyone told me to do. Yeah. And so you you saw a therapist and mm -hmm. that is the therapist just kind of explained that you're an easy target. But even even then trying to understand that in adolescence is is hard to understand uh, of even really what that means. Yeah. Cause like the, the, the why for that, I guess is such like a, especially I do want to make, you know, I'm saying I'm outside the city, but it's still a very Boston energy, like of busting balls. So like you only realize that, uh, as an adult, it's like it's a term of endearment, you know, like, but then it's like, they see their parents do it. They know they, that's like you're, what you're supposed to do. And then they just find me. You know, so like he didn't explain that to me. This is like me sort of like looking back. But yeah, no, he he helped a lot. I don't know where I would be if I didn't actually have that him like set me straight. You know, like right. I think he like, you know, yeah. And, like, and, thank you, Larry. And, you know, the location, uh, as you said, you were not in Boston, but you were still in the thick of it. Uh, when I was a child, being called a weenie had nothing to do with male genitalia. It just meant that you were weak or that you weren't, you know, you were a wuss uh, yeah. of that nature. So, uh, I mean, it would mean two different things, even from Boston to uh, Magazine America, 799 population counting two coon dogs. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. uh, and it's funny how that regionally works. You you got to, I'm not going to say you were you were cured or you got over it or you got through it, but you, you resolved those issues some way and then was able to complete middle school and high school. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. But you continue to not be a good student throughout 
throughout your school tenure uh, of public school? Yeah, basically, I've, uh, my friends that I'm still with friends with today, um, I, they're like the drug kids. I never really did the drugs. Like, we're not even talking like hard drugs. We're talking like weed. You know what I mean? But like, I used to skateboard and like I banged up my knees a lot. I have uh, what's called Osgood Schlaughter, which is basically like cartilage broke off the growth plate. And there's like these two lumps under each of my kneecaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made like sports like like really, I'm not going to say difficult or like it was just annoying, you know, and then all my friends were smoking weed. Like, I'm not going to smoke the weed, but I'll go over there and hang out with them. It's like much more fun than like this fucking asshole coach, like telling me to run when my knees hurt. Right. So so was it escaping from the sport or was it escaping from individuals that you felt would judge you or look at you different and you felt more at home per se with the kids who for lack of a better word weren't were the outcasts not the popular the 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 lower looked upon i think it's a little bit of everything to be honest like i was bottom of the totem pole as far as like athleticism uh because i was a late bloomer you know like so i wasn't getting like played like in like I guess it was the seriousness, man. Like high school sports are like, to me, like, I'm not going to say stupid. Cause like more from where like your area, it's like, you know, especially football and stuff. It's like taken very seriously and kids can get their whole lives changed off to just being like really good at uh, football in high school. I mean, for me, like the stakes were so low, but the parents were so serious. I'm like, whatever, I'll just play like town league, like fuck this. And then like, you know, then these kids having fun, like playing hacky sack. I'm like, those games seem cool. I'll go fucking over there. You know? So right. I think it was a lot of that. Right. There is a lot of, uh, coaches that that would tell parents it's not that your kids don't get to play it's that your kids suck so we don't let them play <laughs> you yeah. know and uh, that's not so much the mantra nowadays uh as as things go on but so you you hung out with these kids did you find community there within them or was it just kind of okay I'm I'm going to be with these kids Yeah, I guess it was a sense of community because I started getting associated with like what that was. Yeah, because it was like the the party kids, I guess, is a way to put it. Because like, I mean, I would go to parties with these kids and cops all like, you know, fucking parent, angry parents, like ruining household objects. Like, yeah, that type of vibe. Yeah. So did you ever get you said cops? Were you ever in legal trouble with with any of these kids or parties? Not in high school. No. I mean, I've, I've run into the law later with graffiti, uh, in New York, but not, no, no, no. High school. I was I had a pretty good clean slate. Okay. And so you went from high school into art school. Yeah. I went from, uh, well, I had to do a year of community college to get into mass art because my GPA was so low. So yeah, I went from Andover high to Northern Essex community college to the mass art. Gotcha. And what was your, what was your thought of what you were going to do after art school? Oh, I don't know. Um, I had a loose plan to like go back home and then like trying to see if I could teach art. But that was out of just like my mom seeing like, you know, you need to have a plan. So you go with what you know. And it's like, I know Miss Riley, my art teacher, would love to have me as a TA. Uh, but um, after college, I immediately got a call to move to New York for this brand, uh, Echo, the Rhino brand. Mm-hmm. It's like, old. Oh, no one really I jumped on a sinking shit in that one. But uh, yeah, so I immediately just came here. So the plan sort of was like null and void. I just pack, I packed up my shit and came. So in art school, did you, um, was it more of like graphic design or was it 
like drawing or with so my major was industrial design which i guess in the easiest layman is to call like product design so like sneakers cars that sort of thing like physical objects um it had the it originally was going to go for graphic design but then the um because my mom wanted me to have a corporate job she's a hairdresser by the way i think a lot of i think this will help if i she's an independent hairdresser that owns her own business so she wouldn't want like to have uh she wanted the easier life for me i guess so there was some aquanet poisoning probably in your life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that was a joke, a very bad <laughs> joke, but your, your mom is probably responsible for at least one layer of the ozone, uh, with, with Aquanet and perms and all that. They, I guess they do perms up North. Maybe that's a Southern yeah, thing. perms. Yeah. Oh no. Perms. Perms were the shit. I remember yeah. my mom did mad perms. I didn't know what they were, but I was like, Oh, you perm today. And she was like, yep. Yeah. So I worked at this nursing home and they had a, a beauty shop inside this nursing home. And, and I don't know if you know this, uh, your mom would know, but now they have a perm that doesn't smell. And so these old ladies would get mad thinking they were getting ripped off, not oh, having okay. a real perm because it didn't smell like a real perm. And it was quite a, quite an issue. I have like these weird memories where I smell like burnt hair and like, I have a wave of things that hit me and we're like, you know, cause I, when I was sick, I would have to go like, go lay down on the floor in the corner. I guess cause she had to work. She was independent. So yeah, I just have all these like weird memories. of just like burnt hair for sure. Yeah. I would have loved the no, the no smell. So if you smelled burnt hair today, what kind of emotion would that bring? I don't know. I don't think it would be a bad one. I mean, I would just, I would just probably like remember like laying on the floor of like that, like stingy carpet like with a blanket and a pillow, you know, like, I don't think it would be so much negative. I'd just be like, Oh yeah, I did that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you graduated from art school, I, mm -hmm. I presume, and you went to work at this, this company and you said it was kind of a sinking ship. What, what do you mean by that? So, I mean, for those who are unfamiliar, especially outside of like major urban areas, um, echo unlimited was, uh, Mark echo. Um, he had this, like, I guess, uh, streetwear brand, like a very old, like, you know, 20, 25, 30 years, probably now old, where it was like the big red rhino with like sort of the circle around it, it was like very graffiti, whatever. It's old, man. Streetwear is not a, like, there's no longevity in streetwear. Streetwear is sort of like uh, part of the, like this fast fashion sort of thing where it's like, you know, it's a lot of this, it's a lot of like, tease. So it's hard to build a legacy and keep it up because there's so many people that could just do it on their own. And, you know, yeah, basically when I got on there, um, it was already like a legacy brand. Uh, it was in like Macy's, you know, it's not like a brand where like the, like, it's not a cool brand by any means. They went bankrupt like three times when I was there, like chapter 11 though. So somehow I was still getting paid. Stu just kept getting investment money and then burning through it and then going bankrupt. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the best sort of start to living in the city, but it, 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 it opened my eyes to like the fashion world itself. So. And, and so what was the most notable thing that you remember from that job of a, of a work that you did while you were there? That people do not care about you as a person. <laughs> like you can work for somebody and they'll just, they think of you as a tool. And I mean that, like, I don't look at like, so Seth was like this dude, Seth Gersbergs was like the owner. Um, and I don't look at him like negatively about it. Uh, it was like, it's a big company. So like how personal can you really be with some people? But yeah, like you're like an object to some people. Yeah. You know? you're, you're, you're just a number. Yeah, pretty much. And like, you know, him and I had like late nights doing like, cause I made all his like investment decks. So like anytime he needed money, I was the guy who like would put it together. Like, you know, he's just trying to feed his kids at the end of the day. And I saw that, but like to him, uh, in order to feed his kids, I needed to do something and I need to do it now. Mm -hmm. 
that's that's the problem. I, I have a friend today. He called me and he was like, "Well, I got suspended from work," and I was like, "What for now?" You know, this is the <laughs> this is the fifth job this month, and so he was like, "Well, I got suspended," and he said, "It's up to HR whether or not." I, and I said, "You're fired." If HR called and said you were suspended, you're fired. You're just a number to them, and uh, unfortunately, corporate America is like that. You're just a number, and. That's why we have so many, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs committing suicide because they figure out that at the end of the day, while they're the CEO, they are still just a number, and and there isn't that that personal personal touch there. So a shout out to all those who may own businesses, treat your employees like people and not numbers. Yeah, uh, and, and I, I think production becomes a lot better when you do that as well. Um, does so you move from echo to where yeah i'm at echo i get laid off downsizing i was basically like one of the last man standing there and then i took i don't want to say it took a year and a half off i tried to like be a designer myself like you know think about like how mark jacobs his name is mark jacobs and the brand is mark jacobs i'm not i wasn't trying to do that exactly but i wanted me to be like a designer and recognize that designer on my own but i was too young i was too naive i was like 25 around now i like didn't care about the right things in the right time. So like I was able to sort of coast for like a year and a half. And then I ended up at this uh, accessory company, Spraygrounds, like backpacks. Okay. So it wasn't like you were looking for freelance work. You had your own, your own idea and business plan as to what you were trying to do. A little bit of that, no, a little bit of like clients, like a, a lot of the people that I met through Echo, like respected my work. And so once I you know, departed once they laid me off, they were like, like, Oh, we can just, I can have you do whatever I want now. And I'm like, yeah, if you pay me, of course. So like that initially was what got me to kind of float. Like I ended up, uh, Sky flew me out to Canada. I lived in Canada for like a month and a half. I helped open like a juice store. Like, you know, I mean, these sentences are kind of crazy when I say them out loud, I haven't really thought about it in a while, but <laughs> so yeah, I was like bopping around. Like I was like staying afloat. You know what I mean? I wasn't really making any money, but I wasn't really like losing any money. Gotcha. And so you went to a new job doing design work again. Yep. And is that the job you're still at currently now? No. So right now it's kind of crazy. Uh, I'm at this brand, a life, New York, which is actually a brand that like, you know, we were talking about like family computers. I was like reading about this brand on my family computer. Um, I'm not gonna say it was dial up, but you know, 2008, 2007, 2008, I have like vivid memories of like going like, Whoa, this brand is sick. Like, how do I get this brand? Do I have to go to New York? Like, what do I do? You know? Um, so I'm there now, but the, the brand I was at before was Sprayground. So it's like, uh, like, uh, very colorful, loud backpacks. So what was your reason for leaving there? Did you get the new job or was there a issue there? Yeah, this again was, yeah, just not being respected and not like just being looked at as an object again. And like in the same, but different way, you know, you try to say this with no spice on it or like no negativity towards this like community, but both of these companies that I worked for echo and Sprayground, were run by, uh, Orthodox Jews. They have like a very strong hold on what the fashion industry is. It's like very, it's very interesting like to see the inner workings where like, there's like, uh, non-competes between certain companies because they're the same kind of like a same area of, uh, Jewish. And it's just so interesting to see how they operate and how they speak to their employees versus how like other companies do. Gotcha. So it was another where you just didn't feel valued as a person. Yeah. And yeah. And so now you're with, with the company that you've known for a long time. Mm -hmm. And what are you doing for them? Is it the same kind of job that you're doing for them? Just all three of these companies, I've sort of been like a, uh, a jack of all trades. 
I've always been willing to say yes to things, even if I don't know how to do them. So this is again, my mother's influence of like, Hey, just like, you know, anytime you get an opportunity, like try to do the best you can. So yeah, basically like all the design work, production work, I help make like catalogs. I help like make sales content, like, you know, stuff for social, like, uh, so it's like not only like the construction of what this t-shirt is, it's like what goes on the t-shirt, how it's, made and then like say like we don't have the product i'll photoshop it on a tee so then like sales can go run with it and then like i'll make a nice catalog for sales so they could do that and then like marketing assets and stuff so i'm really all over the place so you were literally from start to finish background guy yeah pretty much yeah and so in in doing that have you ever felt that you wanted to kind of be on the front line and that being the for lack of a better word background guy kind of limited you yeah. So it's interesting you say that because um, I don't know if how much of your audience will get this metaphor, but I've always said I like to be Jim Jones before he made ballin'. Do you know that song? We stay fly. No lie. You know, ballin'. Mm-hmm. So that's Jim Jones of Dipset. Early on, he was more of like a security guy to like Cam and, you know, these other Harlem dudes. Like every celebrity knew who he was, but no one knew who he was. You know, so like it was like insider shit. I kind of want to, that's like where I kind of want to sit. Like I want the important people to know who I am, but I also don't want to have to like care about my social media numbers. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want, like I'll be cool with everybody, but I don't need, I don't want to have to like have a front or like a persona that I need to like upkeep. Yeah. So you, you want to be known, but not be known. Yeah. So it's a weird conundrum I'm in. Yeah. Now, why would you think, and I want you to answer this, just the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, so don't don't think too hard about that. But why do you think you're depressed right now? I don't think I am. Good. That's a, that's a good answer. Um, most people most people would have stopped for a minute and said, "Well, I've got this that I don't like, and this that I don't like, and this that I don't like." But uh, that tells me that you're in a good place where you feel like that there. While there may be things that you want to do, you don't feel like you're in a box right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. So the, the the problem that a lot of people have coming from this area of adolescence and having bullying, uh, most of the time, those issues that are unresolved, we carry with us through the, the biggest part of our life. And I'll get back to that by asking, what got you into comedy? So I moved to New York City. That was an awful big sigh. <laughs> well, it, well, because it comes with a lot. Um, yeah. I moved to New York City. I have no friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your experience is like there's so many people here. And there is. There is so many people in New York City that is the loneliest place because there's no way to enter any of these and people just don't care about you. Like, you know, how can you join a community when, I mean, you, we don't even help. Like, we just walk by homeless people. They're like, hey, can we have a dollar? And like, what is a dollar to us? And we just go, fuck, no, fuck this guy and his dumb dollar. Because then it's like, you know, you get to the thinking of like, all right, so if I give everybody a dollar, I have no money. But I, you know, I digress. It's like, I moved here and like, I'm undervalued as an employee. I'm busting my ass every fucking moment I can. I'm taking every opportunity to try to get ahead. And then I just go home and I sit there. Down the street from my apartment on Avenue C, there was this spot where I, you know, I walked by, it was like the closest bar to me. I saw a sign hanging that there was a comedy show. I didn't read the fine print. It wasn't, it was actually just an open mic. It's like, why would Louis CK be at a random bar at, you know, at 5 PM mm-hmm. where it's still light out on a Saturday? I didn't put two and two together. I'm like dumb kid, wide eyed, just like happy to be around, but like sad. Cause I have nothing to do. So I went to this place and uh, people have always said I'm funny. 
I'm not going to say I'm the funniest dude in the room, but like, I mean, a lot of people, I've made a lot of people laugh just naturally. So I go to this open yeah, mic. I, I, <laughs> let me interrupt you with this because I think you probably don't realize how funny you are. Uh, because when we were talking off, off mic here, yeah, you were talking about your name and how people called you Cheney Weenie. Yeah. And you were like a lot like Dick. Yeah. And then you said Cheney. Like, and yeah. I don't think you meant to say it that way, but it just, that's the way it came out. So you, I mean, you're just natural at this, either that, or you have repressed all of these bullying and you use them on yourself to make other people laugh, to make you feel comfortable with the bullying that you went through. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you're the doctor. Like I just <laughs> died like that. Sounds good to me. You yeah. know that I'm not ashamed of any of that. Yeah. So you went to this comedy club, open mic. Not even a comedy club, bro. This okay. is a bar. Okay. Like so, it says bar and grill. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I show up and there's like a back area and um, there's like three people and I'm like, Hey, where's the show? And they're like, what do you mean show? I'm like, all right. So I just go sit in the corner. Like I already, like to me, I'm like, all right, this is already weird. I, like I already said something wrong. So I'm gonna go sit down in the corner. So the mic was actually canceled. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? This doesn't even make any sense. It's not what I, like I've been to a comedy show. I've been to New York before, before I moved here. And I've been to a comedy show. This is not what I remember. And yeah, the guys just went up and talked about their dick for three minutes. And they're like, hey, dude, do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'll go. Um, and I blacked out. I have no idea what I said. I just know I did it. And everyone was like, hey, that wasn't bad. So I was like, all right, I'll come back next week. Like now I had like now I had something. I had like a community. People are like, hey, good, good for you, man. Like keep like do it. Like, go for it. And I was like, all right, yeah. Now like now I'll have like friends, maybe. So that's sort of like how it kind of rolled out. And like I just never really put it down. So so you were internally peer pressured to do it, but then it, it turned into, Hey, there might be community here. And, and so you were drawn to it. Yeah. And the high of being on stage, like, I know I, I blacked out, but like I got off and I was like, yo, that is crazy. Like my thump in, like, you know, and to me, I was hilarious. Cause like, you know, you just, I don't know if I was projecting like what I wanted, but like, yeah, i like felt great after I was like, this is sick. Why would I not do this? Right. And so that, one thing led to another and you do comedy now while still working for this other company, uh, doing, doing what you love. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to be very transparent, like I've really chilled out since the pandemic, like a lot of comics really identify as a comedian. So that need to like, you know, be on stage and like, or just do comedy, uh, was sort of like overtaking a lot of people's judgment where like, you know, now we're, dude there was people like yelling in the park as like doing open mics in the park it's like there's kids around you can't say this type like at least i had the self-awareness to be like i can't yell my jokes while there's toddlers around this is not like i'm not that sort of comedian and i'm not gonna like i'll do a zoom cast with you like this is a great conversation but i'm not gonna just tell my jokes to my computer like that's insane to me i also i have this other life where like i'm a designer i have like a salary i built a portfolio i'm very proud of like i could chill um i, I had a comedian on uh, Doc Talks, who was who did a show by telephone to a nursing home. Insane to me. And he was like, I'm doing it because I'm getting paid. And I, I'm like, how would you do that? You know, just, did you ask him how much he got paid? Well, no, you know, there are things you don't ask. Right. I'm, t- I'm telling you, bro, I guarantee you it was not worth whatever to say. Because this is the thing, dude. It's like we work really hard on like a small amount of jokes like we like a lot of comedians don't have a lot of jokes like i mean i i can do 45 minutes but i maybe have like 25 of like solid material you know so like to do that to a phone and just like you're 
years, bro. It sounds so dumb to say, but I, I've been doing one joke for like seven years. To do that to my computer, to no response, or over the phone to a grandmother, uh, like a room full of grandma. I'm like, why? No way. Yeah, like I'm, I can't degrade myself like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we do what we got to do to, to yeah, get what we you. what we got to get. So where are you? So you said COVID kind of chilled you out with with uh, your comedy, but what was pre-COVID? What was kind of your high point uh, in comedy? So I mean, it's still. It's still sort of there. I'm just not chomping at the bit to get back to it, but uh, I'm lucky enough to work with a, a seller comedian, Bobby Kelly, um, who's been on like Louie and he's been around for a while. Tough crowd, uh, you know, Boston guy, which I what a great connect to. You know what I mean? Like I have like I have a piece of home in comedy and like as like sort of a mentor, but he was giving me seller spots. I was like open for him at the seller. So between that and um, I was doing a little bit of the road traveling, uh, you know, like I said, I, I you know, free, I would between freelancing um i freelanced again by the way so i i quit Sprayground and i tried to freelance again i tried to be like a designer myself but comedy was like sort of like not my main priority but i like i, I split the two between design and comedy so like i was able to travel and like the road is cool uh it sucks when you're not with your friends but so like the high point was sort of like me getting paid to be like traveling my friend like you're going to nike i have a friend who works at nike i'd go to nike campus and like not work, but I'd be there sort of like trying to figure out what I want to do. And then like also doing stand-up shows there and then coming back here. And then Bobby being like, Hey, uh, all right, fat black pussycat. That's the name of the venue you're opening. Like, you know, so get ready for to do 15. It's like, this is sick. And so, so you were kind of had the best of both worlds going on. Yeah. I really thought my career was going to be like, all right, Monday to Thursday, I'm going to be a designer with X amount of clients. And then, you know, Friday to Sunday, I'm going to be a comedian traveling. Yeah. And, and now looking back, was that a realistic expectation? I think I was close. I mean, as close as I could get to that, like I saw, I was within grasp, man. Like I've learned to like, not, I'm, I've learned that like through the years, you can't like force things. You can like will things and like manifest things, but you can't force things. I was so close to manifesting like this idea of like a split comedian designer uh, but I, it, you know, pandemic, I just couldn't get there. And it's, you know, it's fine too. Like, you know, through the pandemic, you realize a couple of things and you can like adjust. I have uh, a monthly show that I just got back from like one of the old venues that I had. So like, I'm going to still be doing stand up and like Bobby's, I still talk to Bobby. He like, he's still give me time, but, um, I'm not going to like go all out. Like I was like, I was grinding. Like I was really trying to like build myself up, but like, you know, I'm a designer first from first and foremost, like you introduced me as a comedian, but I am a designer, you know, like I just will still be doing stand up while I design. Gotcha. So uh, you had mentioned earlier that you haven't talked to your father in a long time. Yeah. What what led to that? So basically, me and my sister on the same weekend sort of like left the nest because, you know, I had to do that year at community college. I got dropped off at MassArt on a Saturday. Uh, my sister got dropped off at her college on a Sunday. And my dad drove home with my mom and was like, all right, I'm dropping you off at the house. I'm leaving. And that's not what the... Like, that's not really like, the tension came from, like, because me and my sister both knew, like, the relationship wasn't, like, going great. Uh, I thought maybe with us out of the house, they'd be able to work it out. But my dad was just like, all right, later. And then, um, you know, uh, three months into college, I got a phone call from my dad saying that, like, he got this girl pregnant. So, you know, there was a lot of things, like, you know, backtrack. I'm like, oh, yeah, he would. Well, that was a late night estimate he made. He was in construction. So like, you know, I'm thinking about all these things. I'm like, oh, my, my man was like cheating on my mom. Yeah. So like it just how he handled sort of like admitting this or lack of admitting, I guess, is the better way to put it. 
uh, it eventually just became like, all right, dude, I'm, I'm cool. You know what I mean? Like if you can't, if you can't not lie to me, then like, what else have you been lying about? Mm. So how did that, at, at that point in time, how did that really affect you in, in a mental health way, knowing this was going on? I mean, selfishly, I think because I was in such a new environment, like why I do, I'm in college now, you know what I mean? Like, and it, I know it's not like college, like varsity blues college, but it's still college. And it's like, I'm, I'm in the city now. Like I'm in Boston bought proper and mass art was a 70% girls, 30% guys. So like I was very easily distracted. So my mental health, I mean, like it wavered at times, but like in a situation like that, like how would it not, you know, like new environment, new situation, like things change so quickly. Like, I think I was just able to adapt because I wasn't like sad or depressed. I might've like over-medicated myself with alcohol, but I mean like what college kid wasn't doing that? Like it was all around me. So I don't, you know, it's to be fair with you. I don't really know how to answer that. Okay. Do you, do you think that, or do you know that your mom knew about this prior before she he had just, no idea, no idea. None. And not to, not to overuse a psychology question, but how does that make you feel? I mean, it makes me feel bad actively. Um, Cause like my mom's alone, you know? And like, she's adjusted eventually, but there was like some rough patches where like, you know, cause my dad was also like still around sort of like he left, but like, you know, but they were together like 20 years. So it's like, you, you know, I don't think he could like fully just like be out. Like, you know, my mom trying to do yard work for like the first time, not like she hasn't done yard work, but like, it's like basically an acre of land, you know, like, and that was my dad's sort of duty as the father. So like my mom would get like poison ivy and my dad would have to like come over and like sort of help out of like this weird pity. And it was like, it didn't put my mom in a good light. Like, you know, so like that, that like makes me sad. Sad, not angry. Yeah. Sad. It, it, it is sad. It's not angry. Cause like, what, what was I supposed to do? I can't blame myself like myself for any of the things that my parents really went through. No, yeah, it's more of a sadness. It's not like angry. I guess I'm angry at him for what he did, but like I, I'm not like if, if I ran into him, I wouldn't be like, dude, you asshole. But I'd be like, hey, what's up, Jimbo? Like it's been a while, huh? Hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make the connection here between the anger when it's toward you and the sadness when it's somebody close to you. Okay. So where does the anger root from? The ah. Uh... I don't know, man. I mean, I'm really not like an angry person. I had anger, but I mean, if you talk to anybody now, like they'll be like, Chris has never gotten angry about anything. But when I do, I mean, they'll say that, but like I have, and like, I guess similarly to like how I handled shit in middle school, I just made it like, yo, don't fuck with me right now. This is not a time to fuck with me. Mm -hmm. So when was the last time you remember getting angry? My friend, who's still my roommate, but my friend, Matt, <laughs> so dumb uh not to give the whole story but basically like he put a hole in the wall up upstairs in the living room and i'm the one on the lease and he, he took so long to fix it and i'm like guy like at you this is you actively not giving a shit about me as a person because there's a hole in the i'm responsible like fi fucking fix it guy so like uh there was a conversation i had to have for him where like uh i was ready to take measures if it wasn't going to go my way but luckily him being my friend him, like you know and patience that i've learned over years like uh we got through it and he fixed it so once again it was an anger when something was directed toward you yeah i felt disrespected i guess yeah so it comes back to i think that could kind of sum it all up as you felt disrespected yeah even in middle school elementary school felt disrespected well yeah like like when you're targeted 
not to say like Matt, he didn't have the wherewithal to realize, like, you know, you don't think about stuff like that immediately. You don't think about it, but your brain processes it that way. Yeah. And so when you feel disrespected, you have anger. But when somebody disrespects someone that you love, then you feel the sadness. Yeah, that's fair. I'm also just processing this information, too. I think initially I will get angry, though, because, you know, like. But, but it passes very quickly. Yeah, it does. It does. I think with the help of like Larry, my, you know, I've, I've been able to like process things a lot quicker and, it, and just experience. But is it not also an anger that you don't physically manifest? It's just a, a thought of anger and you don't, there's not even really an outburst of anger. It's just kind of internalized. Yeah. I th well, I think there is like some much like muscle clenching, like, because I do like, what the, f you know what I mean? So I'm not going to say it's not completely physical, but yeah, I think it is more like emotionally, like a, a, a like, you know, a slide. So do you think then though, that the sadness is a coping mechanism to replace the anger? Maybe. I would probably ask you that before I would answer. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. You know, so I, I wouldn't know. I mean, like, but yeah, maybe it makes sense. So what period of time since you've started your comedic career, what is the longest point of time that you've had between a performance? So the last time I did stand up was July. And the f next time I'm doing stand up is j this month, June 28th at 8 p.m. on my show. And so have you found yourself to be a little bit more irritable in the interim between the two? Um, no. COVID actually, like, I think was a good thing for me. Um, I think it was a vacation from responsibility. Uh, and luckily, I didn't have anything to, like, no relatives died on my, like, I wasn't too affected other than, like, being on lockdown. I guess the term is, like, privilege now. I recognize that privilege where I just got to take, like, a break. Nothing really got me irritated other than, like, just, I think my, the only time I really got mad during COVID is, like, me and my girlfriend, who I love very much for, like, going on three years now. Her and I are, the only blip in our relationship is how we have dealt with COVID. And that's like been the frustrating thing, but everything else, no, there's not been a lot of frustration. Because I, I wonder if your need for comedy isn't as much as it is self-fulfilling of something that you want to do, as much as it is that you need it to manage that feeling of insufficiency and disrespect. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I've always liked comedy. Like, uh, did you grow up watching Seinfeld? Mm -hmm. So you remember in the beginning where he would like do the jokes, like that would set the rest of the, he sort of would give you the premise of the episode. Right. I didn't, I didn't know what that was. And for like, I didn't know that was like stand up, but I was always like, can I do that? That seems cool. And you know, without like realizing it that I guess I like gravitated towards it. And then like later was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is what the fuck Seinfeld was doing at the beginning of the shit. But yeah, it's probably like a little bit of like that, like, oh, I want to be like Jerry. And then like what you're saying, where it's like, I can sort of like blow off some steam, I guess. Yeah, because, you know, most most comedians, entertainers are chronically depressed. I mean, that's yeah. just and and that's what makes them good at their art is because they are able to really disassociate from who they are within their mental health into a character or a role to kind of put all of that to rest. Yeah. Uh, there, there probably is a little bit of that because although I think I'm generally happy, like it's hard not to be like, dude, what the fuck? Just like, cause yeah, life kind of like, but are you really happy? Well, see, this is the thing about mental health. And now that America is like caring about it all of a sudden, 
you do get to like overthink things. I'm a terrible overthinker. I, when I start to overthink things, I'm like, that's when I ruin shit. Like, like any project where I'm like, Oh, maybe this is how I'm supposed to do it. And then like I present it, they're like, what the fuck is this? Where was the shit you first were working on? I'm like, Oh, I fucked up. But yeah. So like, am I happy is like a question that you ask yourself in like in, in this sort of like era, I don't know. Like you see all these commercials, you see like ads on the train, like mental health, like, you know, like, and then I am with a bunch of comedians. So sort of to your point, like I am around a lot of depression and I've like helped a lot of my, like I was, I'm not even friends, like just guys I've done stand up with like through stuff. But I say that to say like, I, I have overthought it and I think I've like made myself depressed, but then like, you know, you could, when I think about it, not overthinking when I just sort of like, when you ask me, what's the first thought? Like, no, I'm not depressed. I'm pretty happy. Mm-hmm. So I will go back to that question. Why are you depressed? Yeah. Like right now, why are you depressed? I still don't think I am. Yeah. I, I want you to say what you just said again. I don't think I am. Think. Oh, I don't think I see, but this is the thing though. Like I have thought about it. it what did I say the first time? I'm not depressed. See, I started overthinking. See, it not it amazing how we can think ourselves into something? Yeah. And so I used to have a TikTok with, with quite a few followers, and I did a TikTok that said, depression is the result of overthinking. And man, the masses lit on fire, and I was called everything under the book, uh, on the in the book, I guess I should say. Uh, you know, me being molested is just overthinking and that's why I'm depressed. And, and, but in a general sense, as a symptom, depression is overthinking. And when you talk to someone about what you're overthinking about, you often find that the depression and the issue isn't really as bad as you have perceived it to be. Yeah, I can agree with that 100%. And so in in, in your situation... I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to say this offensive, and I don't want mm-hmm. you to. I don't want you to really think about what I'm about to say. No, I won't just say it. I, I won't take it anyway. I think you're depressed. You just are trying to convince yourself you're not. Yeah, I mean, I'm not mad at that. I can see why we think that. Yeah. So, what are you doing right now in your life that you consider to be fun for you? That you do that you do by yourself. Work right now. I'm very independent at work fun that I do by myself. Super Smash Brothers. I mean, I love spending time with my friends and my girlfriend together and separate. And I do, I, I miss stand up. I haven't been able to like do it as much as I want it. I'm not trying to like compete with all these dudes. Like their whole life is comedy. So like, I, like you guys need it more than me. I miss it, but I'll get it back. Thinking about jokes, I guess I still do that. I have like plenty of material. I know is garbage uh, <laughs> that I got to work out, but like just the thought, writing it down and going through it. That's just like that process. Or, or, you know, sometimes a joke isn't garbage, it's delivery and audience. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of the context. I'm so bad at giving the proper context. That's mm-hmm. like my main struggle as a comedian. Yeah. Uh, I didn't say yeah to agree with you. I said yeah as to that, because I'm not saying that you struggle as a comedian. I, I wasn't No, I understand it, what you're saying. <laughs> yep. No, that, that, was like a, that was like a, no, I feel you. Yeah. Uh, so in your life, if you were to say, you know what? I am depressed. What would your go-to be to try to uh, relinquish or suppress that emotion or feeling? I would have to figure out what is the main thing. Like I would have to figure out like where, not exactly where it's coming from. Cause I don't know if anyone could really do that. I think you might have to like talk to someone like you a lot more, but I would go see like where the most of the sadness is coming from. If I could feel it or find it. And, and I'll tell you where your sadness comes from. Okay. You're disrespected. You disrespect yourself. 
because you're making jokes about what has happened to you to try to circumvent the feeling that, hey, we're all in this together now, so it's funny. Fair analysis. So you have self-worth issues, which is why you don't like working at a job where you're a number. I do. You know what, bro? I will. That is, I do because constantly I should be making way more money. I undervalue myself like literally all the time. And it's like, I'm also not good. All right. How do I say this without? Just say it's it. Very, Just say it. <laughs> I'm so bad at negotiating probably from the self-worth and the, my first two jobs, Orthodox Jewish. I'm not, I don't like making this connection, but they're very good at negotiating price. And I've gotten, I worked at Sprayground for four years. I didn't get a single raise. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I allowed that to happen, but that's the job I walked out on. I didn't get fired. Mm-hmm. I looked at dude in the face. I was like, I'm grabbing my shit and I'm out. Do you know what, do you know what part of your story you mentioned that made that really stick out to me? No. The first bar that you went into that had open mic, you said, I asked them where the show was or what time it was to begin. And they said, what show? And then you immediately said, so I went to the corner and sat down. Yeah. I'm not going to say most people, but I'm going to say I would have said, what do you mean? No show. You know, I would have, I would have had the comeback, but you immediately suppressed and went away, which tells me that you don't value us. You don't value yourself enough to even ask why. So that would lead me to believe that, yeah, you're probably a bad negotiator. Oh, dude, horrible. Um, and you know what I will say to sort of expound on that? Because I've had, New York has been, I think, very good for me as a city. Now, my mom says that, like, it's sort of changed me uh, in a negative way. I think it's sort of made me tougher in a good way. I'm getting more comfortable being myself. I recognize that I think I would, like you, like, said, like, you would like to be like, well, what do you mean, what show? Me, I, w- I was never comfortable enough to, like, ask these sort of questions because I'm, I guess I'm scared. I don't know. Like, I, I'm afraid of what people, how they would respond. So, I think I'm getting through stuff like that because in New York City, you sort of have to learn how to toughen up and do that, um, which I'm sure it has its own negative repercussions mentally. Yeah, I think I'm just getting more comfortable with being myself and stand up. That's like one of the main things you have to be is comfortable. Yeah. So the psychology world probably wouldn't agree completely with what I'm about to say, but I'm a firm believer in it uh, because I see it every day, all day long. Between the ages of eight, to 12, 13 years old, we are what I like to call value processed. That is the point in time in our life where we figure out what we're actually worth, or we are instilled in what we think we are worth. And we carry that through our entire life. That is the basis of our personality during that time. And during that time of your life, you were being called chini weenie. And having self-identification issues of I'm being bullied, I'm being this, I'm being that. And so during your value process, you were devalued. And so that's why you have carried that into your life. Now, the only way for one's personality to change is through a major traumatic life event. That major traumatic life event, just based on what you have told me, probably was the fact to find out that your dad was leaving your mother and that he had had an affair and that he had gotten someone pregnant and you have a half-sibling somewhere. Who I've never met. Right. Which then, excuse me, leads into this resurgence of value. And so the reason that you're really being able to become more assertive is because you're really trying to find who you are again. And you're, you're pushing away the thought of worthlessness through your comedy 
by, hey, let's all laugh about my trauma. Yeah, I mean, I do believe that you have to be able to laugh at yourself. Yeah, I I can't disagree with anything you're saying, at least right now. Mm-hmm. Once you think about it a little while, I'm sure you'll find something to say, oh, no, he was wrong. He was wrong. Because, oh, what, yeah. because what you're going to do is you're going to, psychologically, I, I shouldn't say what you're going to do, but typically a person in your situation is going to leave this podcast of this and then begin to process everything that I say and then try to convince yourself that I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like, look, you got seven, it looks like, or eight plaques up there with like the gold ribbon shit. Yeah. So it's hard for me to argue with anything you're saying. You know, you those plaques mean I'm supposed to listen to you. So <laughs> yeah, I, I wish everybody had that thought process that that they're supposed to listen because those are up there on the wall. But yeah, uh, I mean, look, bro, I only got hats. I got hats and a skateboard. And then, you know, that that photo would, would be a whole story. But like you got, pla- you know, they, I got nonsense. You have actual things that prove that you're worth something. Well, I'm I'm in an office and not a not a downstairs bedroom either. That's that's true. Yeah. So I, I'm sure your your office is is has some have some memorable stuff unless you are working from home. And that is your bed office. No, I mean, I, when I was freelancing, this was, yeah. but no, now I have my, now I have an office of things I can look around and like be inspired by. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I guess the question is, where do we go from here? If, if you really are internally depressed and you are just stuffing it down and it's not really manifested in a way that you want to believe that it's there. And I'm, I'm not trying to talk you into being depressed either. Um, then, then how do we find self-worth? Well, I think I'm, I, well, so just to, you know, just to respond to what you're saying, I don't think I'm depressed, but I definitely see where you're coming from. Cause I don't think everybody can be a hundred percent happy. It's very hard to exist and not have some sort of trials and tribulations that you go through. Uh, I mean, lucky enough right now I'm with like, uh, I have friends that I'm very close with that I love. I have a girlfriend who is very there for me. And I think through our trials and tribulations, I've learned how to communicate better, which I think is going to make me an overall better person. I mean, it's like hard for me to like think about everything I have right now. I mean, like, dude, I have a job that I like, it's like kind of like a dream job. It's my favorite streetwear brand and I work there. You know what I mean? I have like great friends, girlfriend. I mean, COVID fucking, they handing out money. So like now I'm like in like a stable place financially. Like everything is kind of cool right now. It's like hard for me to argue about anything, you know? Mm -hmm. But it is, I guess, sort of like, you know, how we talked about, like, maybe finding that source of wherever the sadness is or lies and sort of just trying to, like, get that into a shape that I like. Yeah. And so if I were to ask your girlfriend, is Chris depressed, what would her answer be? No way. Because you're really good at your art. Uh, Literally and figuratively, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So, So once again, to the question, how do we find value in ourselves? Because your girlfriend's not going to give you value. Your friend's not going to give you value. Your work's not going to give you value. That's something you've got to find internally. So so I would ask the question, if you were to leave the earth today, what would be missing? Respect. <laughs> it is respect, man. I used to say in college, uh, they're like, what do you want? To, what do you want? And I said, I would say to be taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is just like. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it's it's absolutely amazing uh, that you're able to say that when you don't even realize that that's the issue. Yeah. And 
I, I just want to, of course, our listeners can't see this, but this is my notepad where I've been taking notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Respect. Respect. That's all what it comes back to. But I, I think that it would be a fair statement to say that sometimes you don't think that you deserve it, even though you want it. Yeah. You know what? One thing that we didn't talk about is that um, I'm discouraged artistically on the design side just because I've had so much stuff stolen from me. That's another whole thing. Yeah. And then, like, with this NFT shit, I thought I was about to get, like, the credit where credit is due because, like, if I mint my and gas my shit and have it up, like, you could see that yeah, it's mine. Like, you can't take it. Like, I have the mint, but, you know, we find out that's a pyramid scheme. So, like, I've gotten a lot of stuff taken from me that I'll never get the credit for. And I just want to be like Jim. I, I just want my balling. Basically, go back to my Jim Jones reference. I just want, like, what one balling where I can go, like, all right, Chris can, like, do this. And then, like, then I'll, uh, then I'll be like, all right, yes, yeah, that's all I really wanted. And so what does that look like for you, though? I'm not sure. I feel like I've had a couple close things, but I, I don't really know what it, it, it's physical form. I'm not sure because also, like, this digital world, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a shoe that I'm about to do or, like, you know, uh, you know, if it's, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. So <clears throat> what? where do you see yourself in, say, five years? <sighs> I'm still in New York. I'm realistically probably at a working at a different place, although I love a life and uh, I always will. And uh, five years, I will definitely be a director somewhere. Okay. So is that the goal to be a director or is that what you see yourself in five years? The goal realistically is to create an experience for somebody. Product design is also experience design. And, uh, you know, as someone who's like working in streetwear and sort of uh, aware of the how popular it is right now, I mean, it, it is about creating that experience of like someone buying that tea and like them like really. Do you have a favorite T-shirt? No. <laughs> do you have like a, do you have like a go to outfit? Do you have like something where you're like, if you want to feel good? You're like looking you at it. I mean, I'm dressed down today. I've, I'm actually wearing blue jeans. OK, but I, I mean, so in, in, a, in a vain sense, uh-huh. like I love when because i've seen my product out in the wild Mm -hmm. uh and that's an interesting experience in itself but the idea of someone like confidently buying that because they like it Mm -hmm. just having more experiences like that maybe not that i'm there but the the idea that it's there so that brings an interesting question as you said they buy it because they consciously like it yeah so do you think that people that you have seen wearing your stuff don't like it it's just another piece of clothing I think it's give and take. I think sometimes someone has bought it or gotten it as a gift and that they, they're not really connected to it. But like the industry that I'm sort of working in right now, it's like, that's, that's sort of like a hard thing to come by where normally if you buy something that I've done, like that means you really like it. Does that not sound a whole lot of like devaluing yourself? Yeah, it does. You got to quit that. Yeah, I do. And I, I guess I've, I'm conscious of it. Like do it. Do I seem like I'm sort of aware of it? No. Really? <laughs> Honestly, no. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, I get. I mean, like, I know the the value thing. I definitely know. I think uh, self worth and financial worth. I know I need to work on. How much uh, does a t shirt of yours cost? If I were to go I to a store my, or whatever, uh, a life is forty five. I have stuff on my website that's thirty two, uh, and I've had stuff in the past where it's ranged from twenty to fifty. So yeah, fifty five. Uh, twenty to fifty five. So but we're just talking about a t-shirt. So let's say 20 bucks. Yeah, sure. Let's let's put that into actual value of humanistic value. That's two hours of work for a minimum wage employer. 
Yep. So somebody is going to physically labor for two hours to own one of your T-shirts. Yeah. Bobby Kelly's merch is like 20 bucks. No, I, I think you're letting this slip what I'm trying to say. Whether they like it or not, they have spent two hours of their work life that they will never get back to have a shirt that you designed. Yeah. Does that not give you value? Does that not make you feel respected? Oh, no, totally. And that's what I'm saying about like when I see my product, it's like that's like because they bought that. Like that, that's crazy that I did something and they bought it. I still have that like awe there. So are you able to go and see how many of a product that you designed had been purchased? I guess I could ask. I could see like. I think what, you should do that. Yeah, I should. Unless they're really bad numbers. Yeah, because that would be also bad. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they only sold to, two of these? <laughs> I spent two hours making that graphic. Yeah. And and there's a whole lot of them down at the Goodwill store. And uh, I sang professionally for, for several years in, in Southern Gospel. And uh, nice. I I had I was a platinum label Southern Gospel recording artist for four years. Flex King, hell yeah, yeah. flex that. So uh, that with those six degrees, you know, you ought to listen to everything that I say. Um, <laughs> but anyway, actually, it's five de- four de- yeah five degrees and one certification. I'm pointing like I'm pointing where they're <laughs> like yeah, just everywhere. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so the very first uh, album that I released. Um, it went platinum within eight months. And I was like super proud of that, like super proud. Now, once again, this is in the Southern gospel world. So it's very little in and of itself. So like seven years of singing and doing things and having multiple albums and DVDs and stuff. I was at my parents' house and the church that I grew up in was having a rummage sale. And I went and I found a copy of the very first album that I ever made that was platinum, still shrink wrapped cassette tape for 10 cents. Actually, you know what? You telling me this, I have a memory. Are you familiar with the platform StockX? No. StockX is a new, newer, I'm not going to say it's new now. It's a newer sort of open market way to uh, resell uh, streetwear items. I did something for A-Life in 2014 when I first met them and when I was in the city. It's a Puma shoe collab. The idea of StockX is sort of like what a yard sale is where it's like, it's more open market where like there's negotiation. I'm not saying that like, you know, 10 cents is like, you know, where are you really going to negotiate a lower price on that? Right. But you allow, you can place bid. It's more like, it really is like Wall Street finance where you can place a bid and there's asks and, you know, the market determines the value. There's a shoe I did on there that's like, you know, it retailed at 120 on StockX. It's like 50 bucks. Yeah. And doesn't that just like crush you inside for a little bit? I remember it was after a comedy show. Um, this kid really liked my set. Uh, I was at the bar bar show. Nothing like, you know, I was mostly even just doing like new jokes, but like we were kicking it at the bar after he was like, yo, I'm out. I like your sneakers, like your outfit, you're funny. And I'm like talking sort of similarly, like how we're talking, we're just going through things and then I'm like, oh, I wonder if that thing is on StockX. So like in real time, I got this kid. They had to see me I'm like, dude, 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I was so proud. I was telling this kid and then I'm just like, yo, 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I can empathize. So I took that cassette to the lady who was running the yard sale. And I was like, um, like, would you take a nickel for this? <laughs> and, and she was like, well, what is it? And so she looked at it and she was like, uh, 
I think this must be prize strong. And I was like, <laughs> you don't, you don't even have to play, you know, you don't have to play. And she, at the end of the day, she opened it and wanted me to sign the inside of it. And I'm like, now you're just, you know, patronizing me. But, uh, it, it's amazing how we will take our self-worth and our self-value and attach that to a monetary item. Yeah. And that does not describe who we are as an individual. Yeah. I, you know, I'm Doc Brian. I have this podcast. I do, you know, counseling, therapy. But at the end of the day, I'm Brian. And when I lay down at night and I go to sleep, I'm not all of this stuff. I'm Brian. Mm -hmm. And if I don't value myself at the very basic of human needs of being who I am as an individual, then do I really value all of the other monetary things around me? Or is it just me trying to fill in a gap? I've always said money isn't important, but I, I don't know if I say that now, just processing this whole conversation. I don't know if I've always said that just because I didn't have a good value of myself, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. It's that when we we try to devalue things that we know that are valuable when we've devalued ourselves. Yeah, that makes sense. So how do we find that value? And And typically the answer is, what would be left if we left? And your your word was respect. So how do you gain respect? Hard work is the sum of daily efforts. So I would just say I would have to try harder. But then on the flip end of that is uh, I have to work smarter, not harder. So I have to optimize. So you have you have a daily task, I assume, that you have to get done or you're not going to be employed much longer, uh, right. things that you have to do. Where on that list is respect? I mean, it's not. Where would I put that on there? It needs to go on there, first of all. And I think that the very first thing would be uh, to sit down maybe with even a friend to a mental health professional to try to figure out what respect really means to you. Mm. But what does that really look like? And then set boundaries of, okay, this I will let slide, but this definitely I will not let slide. Or, okay, this can happen once, but I'm going to address it and it, it's not going to happen again. And that we have that kind of respect for ourselves. And literally, if you allow yourself to be disrespected, you are disrespecting yourself. Yeah, the 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 paradox or, you know, the oxymoron of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because now I'm getting annoyed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, we, so I really think that in the very, very basic of sorts here, you've got to learn to respect yourself. Yeah, and how do I do that? Well, the first thing would be figure out why you're not respecting yourself and you're not respecting yourself because you don't believe you have intrinsic value because it goes all the way back to Chini Weenie. Yeah, Chini has a small weenie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, I've had I've enjoyed having you on our podcast today, and uh, you've got a lot to think about. I lot, do, and, and thank to, you for having me, man. Sure, sure. So, uh, tell tell the listeners where we can find you. Uh, you can go to notthatgenie.com to see all my work. <laughs> do you want you want to spell that for us? <laughs> yeah, C H E N E Y N O T T H A T C H E N E Y dot com. Also, 
I have a joke about uh, getting high and then buying dumb domains because I think they're funny. So uh, it, it's just funny because you can go to pegmydad.com and that will also be all my artwork. So if you want, <laughs> if you don't remember uh, notthatgenie.com, you can go to um, pegmydad.com and girlsdontspeaktome.com. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. So we will, uh, we will put that, uh, link in the buy and the, in the description. You've got me all messed up here. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, put that in the, the comment, not the com- man. You've really got me. Jacked <laughs> up over here. Yeah. yeah. That was a curveball. I wish we'd have, you'd have mentioned that halfway through the podcast. So we could have discussed all of that as well, but maybe we'll, we'll just have to have you on another time. Uh, as yeah, far as two. social media, where can they find you there? Uh, at not that Cheney. Um, so the same way my website, that's my handle. Um, and like I mentioned earlier at, uh, the new Bronx River Yacht Club, which was formerly the Village Lantern. You know, Mara, our connection here, that's sort of how we eat Mara Merrick. Um, performed there a lot with her. Um, so, I, you know, we're around, um, you know, Beef Rain Network people are in that area. So, uh, yeah, come Village Lantern every last Tuesday of the month. Uh, there's going to be the show there at 8 and then notthatchini.com and then A Life New York. Gotcha. And we'll put all of those links in the description of this podcast. That's the word I was looking for uh, mm-hmm. in the description of this podcast. Uh, once again, I'm Dot Brian. You can find me at the.brian.com. All of my social media links are available at the bottom of that website. And of course, Dot Talks is a part of B Frank Network. You can check out all of our podcasts on bfranknetwork.com. And Chris, uh, it's good to good to talk with you. Good to meet you, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. But uh, you need to learn to respect yourself, and and set those boundaries so that others will respect you. That's very fair, my friend, and I wish the same for you. All right. Well, we thank you for listening today, and um, go check out Chris's stuff there and buy it all so that he feels some respect there. That's right. Shameless plug for you. All right, everybody, have a good day. <laughs>